How well would you say that you know the Bible? I'm sure some here would know it better than others. But I'm sure all of you would know it better than these kids I'm going to tell you about. At least I hope so. <laughs> Here's the story of the Bible compiled by different kids piecing together the stories they heard over time in Sunday school. And as you will see as I go through it, uh, they weren't listening very well. <laughs> or maybe they didn't have very good teachers, <laughs> one or the other. But anyway, here, here goes. God got tired of creating the world, so he took the Sabbath off. Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc. Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire by night. <laughs> Shouldn't say that in church, should you? <laughs> Samson was a strong man who let himself be led astray by a Jezebel like Delilah. Samson slayed the Philistines with the axe of the apostle. Moses led the Hebrews to the Red Sea, where they made unleavened bread without any ingredients. The Egyptians were all drowned in the desert. Afterwards, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Amendments. The first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. The fifth commandment is to humor thy father and mother. The seventh commandment is thou shalt not admit adultery. Moses died before he ever reached Canada and then Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho. The greatest miracle in the Bible was when Joshua told his son to stand still and he obeyed him. <laughs> David was a Hebrew king who skilled at playing the lyre, as in L-I-A-R, the lyre. He fought with the Finkelsteins, a race of people who lived in biblical times. Solomon, one of David's sons, had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. <laughs> Jesus enunciated the golden rule, which says to do one to others before they do one to you. <laughs> the people who followed the Lord were called the twelve decibels. The epistles were the wives of the apostles. One of the apostles was St. Matthew, who was by profession a taxi man. Paul cavorted to Christianity. He preached holy acrimony, which is another name for marriage. A Christian should only have one wife. This is called monotony. <laughs> the things they teach in Sunday school these days, I tell you. <laughs> Knowing what the Bible says and what it teaches is important. In fact, I would say it's vital. It's the most important book in the world, and it is the most powerful book in the world, because it is God's word to us. It is the means by which we get to know God, and how God created everything, and how we got into the mess that we are in, and how God came to this earth in the person of his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died to pay the penalty demanded by the sin of the world, and then rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. 
all to offer us a way to be saved from that penalty of sin that we all deserve, which is an eternity, an eternal death in hell. It's vital that we know and understand these things. And the Bible is the only way we can know and understand it. It is a living and a powerful book that when understood and lived according to is a powerful and life-giving instrument because it is the very word of God to us as humans. Most of us have heard the, of the mutiny on the bounty, uh, that ancient English ship and her crew that mutinied. But most of people have never heard how the Bible played a very vital role in that historical event. The Bounty was a British ship which set sail from England in 1787, bound for the islands of the South Seas. Uh, the idea was that those on board would spend some time on the South Sea Islands, transplanting some fruit trees and doing other things to make some of those islands more habitable. After 10 months of voyage, the Bounty arrived safely at its destination and for Six months, the officers and the crew of that ship gave themselves to the duties placed on them by the British government. When the special task was completed, however, the order came to embark again and go back home, but the sailors rebelled. They had formed strong attachments for the native girls on the island, and the climate of the South Seas and the ease of life in the South Seas was very much to their liking. They didn't want to go back home. And the result was the mutiny on the bounty. And the sailors placed Captain Bly and a few other men that were loyal to him in an open boat, sent them adrift on the sea. Captain Bly, in an almost miraculous fashion, survived the ordeal and was rescued and eventually arrived home in London to tell his story of what happened. So an expedition was launched to punish the mutineers, and in due time, 14 of them were captured and paid the penalty under British law. But nine of the men had gone to another of the South Sea Islands some distance away. And there they formed a colony. And perhaps there has never been a more degraded and debauched social life than of that colony that they, that they started there, that other island. They learned to distill whiskey from a native plant and the whiskey, as usual, along with other habits, led to their ruin. Disease and murder took the lives of all the native men and all but one of the white men, whose name was Alexander Smith. He found himself to be the only man on the island surrounded by a crowd of women and half-breed children. Alexander Smith found a Bible among the possessions of a dead sailor. The book was new to him. He had never read it before. He sat down and began reading it. And he read it through. Read it right through. And he believed it. And he began to appropriate it to his life. And he wanted others to share in the benefits of this book. So he taught classes to the women and the children as he read to them and taught them from the scriptures. It was 20 years before a ship ever found that island, and when it did, a miniature utopia was discovered. The people there were living in honesty 
and decency and prosperity and harmony and in peace. There is nothing of crime or disease or immorality or insanity or illiteracy. How was it accomplished? How did that come to be? By reading and believing and appropriating the truth of the Word of God. The Bible transformed that little society. Friends, we need to develop a deep appreciation for and a desire for the Bible. So starting today, I'd like to, for the Sundays that I'm going to be here over the summer months, uh, focus our attention on one passage in the Bible. One particular psalm in the book of Psalms, which is pretty much right in the middle of your Bibles. Psalm 119. That psalm is the longest chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses. And it is all about, that whole chapter, all 176 verses, they're all about God's Word. The importance of it, the power of it, the value of it, the transforming nature of it, and so on. And not only is this psalm the inspired Word of God to us, like, like all the Bible is, it is also an amazing piece of literature, Psalm 119. It is written in Hebrew poetry, like all the psalms are. This particular psalm is an acrostic. It is put together in sections of eight verses. Each section begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's originally written in Hebrew, of course. And each verse in a section begins with that same letter. So, verses 1 to 8 begin with, all the verses begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Verses 9 through 16, they all begin with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Verses 17 to 24, they all begin with the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so on, right, right all the way through the psalm. And the theme of every section and every verse in this whole psalm is the Word of God. The Word of God is referred to by, I think, ten different terms in this psalm. Uh, and you can just start skimming there, you can see them. Uh, so those w different words referring to the Bible or the Word of God, law, testimonies, ways, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, path, all those different terms referring to God's Word. And one of those words occurs in every one of these 776 verses except for three. Uh, verse 90 and 122 and 132. There's only three verses in the entire psalm that don't have one of those references to the Word of God in it. So what we're going to do during the Sundays of summer that I'm here is to look at a section of, of eight verses each Sunday. There's no way we can cover it all during the summer, but we can do a selection of these eight verse stanzas. And the theme of it all is the importance of the Word of God to every area of our lives. The importance of knowing it, and of studying it, and of applying it, and how the result is nothing but good for us. In fact, it will transform us. So today, the first section we'll be looking at is, in fact, the very first section in that psalm, which Amber read for us. Verses 1 through 8. Which, uh, so let's, uh, let's dig in. We need to have a huge appreciation for the Word of God, the Bible. And a study of the teachings about God's Word in Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8, will help us gain this appreciation. You know, the first teaching 
God's word is a life guide for us. God's word is a life guide for us. I'm looking here at verse 4. Verse 4. A fairly common literary device used in Hebrew poetry is that the main thrust of the passage is right in the middle of the poem. Right in the middle. The first part of the poem builds up to it. The second part then gives some results or implications or applications of, of it, the main truth. So that's what we have in this first eight-verse section. It's a little different than how we think today in the Western world that we're in. Uh, we would start out with the main point, the main thrust, and then we would expand on it. But they have it kind of right in the middle of the poem. So to get in line with our way of thinking, we'll look at verse 4 first. Because it's the main message of this eight-verse section. So let's read verse 4. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. The main point of this section is that the word of God, the precepts, it's called there in verse 4 in my translation. The word of God has been ordained by God. These precepts that are in the word of God are from God, they're approved by God, <clears throat> and in fact they are put there by God. And they are there for us to live our lives by them. God's word is a life guide for us. God gave it to us for that explicit purpose. To give us a guide for living life successfully. In fact, it says that we should keep these precepts diligently. In other words, this is pretty vital stuff. We should be very serious about our personal lives, in our personal lives, about living according to the guidelines of God's word. We should do so diligently. Not in a haphazard, kind of, maybe, sort of fashion. No, diligently. Friends, God gave us the Bible for a reason. And that reason is not only to tell us the truth about God and the truth about Jesus Christ and the way of salvation God provided for us, but to give us a guide so that we can live our lives and our lives can be good and can be successful and can be fulfilling. God created us. He created us with a purpose in mind. God alone knows what will make you happy. Fulfilled and satisfied in life. And so he gave us the Bible to let us know how to live in accordance with the way he designed us. And that's the only road to a fulfilled and satisfying life. It's kind of like this joke I once heard. <clears throat> this old guy was living way back in the bush, never getting out much. He heard tell of a, of a new kind of saw for cutting wood. Supposedly it was way faster than the hand saw he had always been using. You could put up a winter supply of firewood five times faster with this new saw than with a hand saw. It was called a, 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 a chainsaw. So that appealed to him. So he went to the big city to get himself one of these newfangled saws. He brought it home, and he opened it up, and decided he'd try it out. There was a book included that said operated instructions, but he never was much for reading, so he ignored it, tossed it away, and went out to cut wood. It was a saw. How hard could it be? So he took the saw to the bush, and he started cutting firewood. But it fell far short of his expectations. It didn't work good at all. If anything, it was five times slower <laughs> Then his hand saw, not five times faster. 
So he took it back to the big city, to the dealer, and he said, this here newfangled saw ain't worth nothing like you bragged. It's way slower than my hands off. So the dealer said, well, let's have a look. So he took the saw and he pulled the cord, started up, revved it up a few times, and the old bush guy backed off in a startled jump, and what's that noise? <laughs> you see, if you want to get the full benefits of a chainsaw, you have to use it in a way a chainsaw was created to be used. And then it can do a lot of work for you quite quickly. But if you try to use the chainsaw in ways that it was not created to be used, it is nothing but a frustration. If you try to use a chainsaw like a handsaw, it'll do nothing for you. And that's the way it is with us. God created us. God designed us. He knows better than anyone else what makes us tick and what will make us happy and fulfilled in life. He has even given us an operating instructions book for our lives called the Bible. And if we take the time to read it, to understand it, and to live by it, then life is so much better. In fact, that is really the only way to make life really good and satisfying and fulfilling. Number two. Second teaching. There are blessings for those who live according to God's word. There are blessings for those who live according to God's word. That's looking here at verses 1 through 3. Let's read those verses. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. So it says here that those who do live according to God's ways are blessed. The people who take God's word seriously and read it and observe it and live by it, they are blessed. What does that word blessed mean? I took the time to do some research on the meaning of that word. The Hebrew word, this, which this was originally written in, translated here blessed in my translation. I noticed Amber when she read it, it was joyful uh, in her translation. But that word, used here in verse 1 and 2, it means happy, <laughs> or very happy. Pure and simple, that's what it means. How very happy are those who live according to God's word. And that's what we've already seen. When you live, according, live life according to God's word, you line yourself up then with the way God created you and designed you and purposed for you, and that's the key to happiness. That is when life makes sense. Where there is fulfilling and satisfying and, com and it's complete for you. And you're happy. You're blessed. That's interesting. When you think of what makes you happy, what do you think of? If I would ask you, what makes you happy? What kind of answers would I get? We're not going to do that, but, but if I would... <laughs> What kind of answers? What, what makes you happy? What do you dream about when you dream about what makes you happy? You see, we, we think we know what will make us happy, but many times we're mistaken. When we get those things, we find out that we aren't any happier than we were before. Real, deep-seated, gut-level happiness in life is not found in financial security. Or in an abundance of fun possessions. 
or in having a wife or a husband, or in the high of alcohol or drugs, the high that they can give. Not found in there. Nor is it found in sexual pleasure. Or in fame or popularity or an act of social life. None of those things can cut it when it comes to providing that deep-seated happiness in life. It comes from knowing what God's Word says, understanding what it means, and living your life accordingly. And yes, that's a process, and a fairly long process, but it is so worth it. It takes time to read and to get to know what the Bible says, that it takes some serious praying and spiritual wrestling to come to an understanding of what the Bible means. And it takes some serious dedication to apply that to our lives and to make our lives line up with the teachings of the Bible. But it's worth it. Because you're blessed when you do. That's the road to real happiness. So there are blessings in store for those who live according to God's word. Those blessings are living a life pleasing to God and the resulting peace with God. And one of the results of that is that you will be happy in your life. You are living according to the way you were designed and created to live. You're living for the purpose for which you were created. You're contented, you're satisfied, you're fulfilled, you're happy. And thirdly and finally, God's word needs to be approached with gratitude and desire. God's word needs to be approached with gratitude and desire. Verses 5 through 8. Again, let's just read them. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I will give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. What this is saying is that because God's word is all of this, our life guide, our ticket to fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness, that produces a deep appreciation within us for God's word and a longing to get into God's word. That's what the psalm is expressing here in these verses. A longing to get established in the kind of life that is in keeping with God's word. A longing for his own life to be consistent with the teachings of the Bible. Kind of interesting, by, by the way, what was the Bible when the psalmist wrote this, <laughs> wrote this psalm? What did they have? What, what was their Bible? Doesn't say he wrote this psalm, but most of them were written around the time of King David. So what kind of Bible, what was all there when they, uh, when they were living. They had first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Probably had Joshua. And Judges and Ruth, maybe. That's what they had. A longing. Had a longing. David, there are whoever wrote this, expressed a longing and desire to get into the Bible. Those books that they had. But there was a lifetime. There was the answer to making life fulfilling. You ever read Leviticus? <laughs> a longing to get into that and to understand it because there's life-giving stuff there. 
And we need to have, we have the complete Bible now in our day. Much more, much more rich. So these things are even more so for us than it was for the psalmist who wrote this. But the longing the psalmist expresses here to get established in the kind of life that's in keeping with God's word, a longing for his life to be consistent with the teachings of the Bible. Deep gratitude for the word of God. Or perhaps more accurately, a deep gratitude for the God who gave us his word. And his word is the way to get to know God. The messages, the guidelines, the teachings contained in the Bible is our ticket to everything that really matters in life. So the psalmist is so thankful and so full of gratitude to God for his word. And he longs and he commits himself to living according to the word of God that he has given. And that's one of the lessons of this passage for us today. Because God's word is what it is, and does what it does for us and in us, we need to have that deep appreciation for the Bible. We need to be deeply and eternally grateful to God for giving it to us. To have that deep urge to get into it and to know what it says, to understand what it means, and to align our lives accordingly. Do we? Are we grateful for the Bible? And sincerely thankful to God that he gave it to us? Do we have that longing to get into it? to know what it says? Do we really want to come to a real understanding of what it means? That's how we need to approach God. And there will be times, at least for me, I can't speak for you, but yeah, there are times for me that yeah, I don't really have that desire to get into the Word, to get into the Bible. But when that happens, we need to be disciplined enough to get into it anyway. Like other things in life, our natural feelings and our desires will grow into what we're putting our work into and our effort into and what we're investing into. So if we keep on doing it and are disciplined enough to do it even when we don't feel like it, in time, our desire for it will grow with that and it will become a driving but God's word needs to be approached with gratitude and with desire. So therefore we see from this passage this morning the teachings that if followed will give us a deep appreciation for the Bible. They are God's word is a life guide for us. Number two, God, sorry, there are blessings for those who live according to God's word. And then three, God's word needs to be approached with gratitude. So friends, if you are a Christian, this is a must. The Bible is absolutely vital to your Christian life. You have to put in the time and the effort needed to get to know what it says and get to understand what it says and what it means and then to apply it. You can't depend on what other people tell you it says. There's going to be lots of those that will tell you what the Bible says. And, yeah, they can be a big help with that process. For sure they can. That's why God gave you a church. But it still comes down to you and I personally, individually, taking that Bible and reading it ourselves and getting into it ourselves. 
wrestling with the meaning of it on your own. Then getting other people to help you with the meaning when you need help. But, but then just between you and God, coming to an understanding of how it applies in your own individual life. If you're going to grow at all as a Christian, this is a must. If you're going to be that happy person that we're talking about, this is the key. Let's just bow our heads and take our time of silence like we do every Sunday morning and just allow God to speak to you in your own heart. What, what, what is God saying to you this morning? What's the word for you from this? I'll give you a